is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 205, covering the week of February 10th through February 14th, 2020. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Abbeville Institute, like our Facebook page at Abbeville Institute, and of course, subscribe to our YouTube page at Abbeville Institute. You'll find all those social media accounts at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. While you're there, give us an email address and we'll give you a free ebook. Also, click on that support tab while you're at abbevilleinstitute.org and you can support the Institute monthly or annually or one time gift. You just click on that donor options. You can also click on that shop tab and get your Abbeville Institute apparel. It's high quality embroidered stuff t shirts, hats, golf shirts, fleece. So it's a great way to support the Institute and advertise at the same time. Please remember to rate this podcast wherever you get podcasts. And of course, download the free Abbeville Institute app. Just go to your app store, look for Abbeville Institute, and you get it for free on the go. So it's a great way to keep up with the Institute and of course, have this podcast there as well. Remember that we do exist on your generous contributions alone. So if you do like what we do, if you like this podcast, if you like our conferences, you can donate and help us do more of that. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the material for the week. And I want to start with this idea of what is the South. And a lot of the the pieces this week have much to do about transplants. In fact, all of them have something to do with that in one way or another. We think of this abstraction of the South, or at least historians try to think of the South as an abstraction, or sociologists or people who write about the South is simply an abstraction to them. But it's not an abstraction to people that live it, that live in it. The Southern tradition was a real tangible thing. It is a real tangible thing. And there are thousands of people every day that move to the South because they want that tangible thing. Or at least they believe they want that tangible thing this Southern tradition, this Southern way of life, Southern hospitality, Southern cooking, Southern music, Southern whatever it is, Southern architecture, Southern climate. They want to live in the South because they realize that where they are in the United States, if it's not in the South, doesn't have this sunny disposition. And this goes all the way back into the early 20th century when you had pop culture very much invested in this image of the South. That's what I like about the South. Everything is great if it comes from Dixieland. I mean, this was the image that was coming out of music in the middle, early to middle of the 20th century. There was something about the South that was marvelous, that people wanted to hang on to, that people enjoyed. And so many of them moved to the South. And either they found it or they didn't. And the important thing about that, though, too, is that for some of these people that came to the South, They didn't actually leave the North. And so I want to talk about that for one second. We often use terms like Yankees on here, or we poke fun at Yankees. And we do have a lot of Northern listeners, European listeners. We have people that are not from the South or in the South that listen to this podcast, read our materials. And I get emails, my personal emails, or we get emails at the Abbeville Institute at times from people who are upset about these terms, or they want to clarify that I'm from the North, but... Um, I'm, you know, I, I don't mind if you pick on the North. Well, there, are, there is a difference between a Northerner and a Yankee. A Northerner is 
just an American. I mean, someone that really believes in this Jeffersonian America. And there are lots of those people out there. And we appeal to those people because they understand that, well, gosh, we're living in, in uh, this horrible place because of the people around us. Yankees are a particular type of northern. And you can even have Yankees in the south, certainly, if they move there. They're a particular type of northerner. They're an imperialist type. They are a cultural imperialist, someone who wants to enforce their will or their values or their ideas on other people. Force them, not just say, well, I mean, this is what I think and you can think what you want. I mean, look, we have people that listen to this podcast, I know for a fact, that don't like what I say. They listen to it because they simply want to, I don't know, maybe they... they. Uh, just want to hear what I have to say because they want to make fun of it or they want to hear what I have to say because they don't agree with it and they want to try to contact me and tell me how awful I am. Whatever the case may be, and that's fine. I'm not telling you you got to think like me, but you choose to listen to it. A Yankee, though, wants to make you be like them. The best example I can give you um, and what a lot of people are familiar with is this Washington Irving story of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And people don't look at it this way, but I, I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but maybe you haven't listened to all 204 previous episodes, so you haven't heard me say this. But The Legend of Sleepy Hollow really is a story about Yankees. Ichabod Crane is a Yankee. Ichabod Crane is the personification of Yankee. Here's a man that moves to, to New York from Connecticut. He's a school teacher, and again, Washington Irving from New York. He loved the South. Washington Irving loved the South and the Southern tradition. He loved it. His home, Sunnyside, was essentially a Southern plantation in New York. He loved it. Right there in a beautiful part of the state. Ichabod Crane moved to New York trying to woo the daughter of the wealthiest family in town. He did things that the locals made fun of. He was superstitious in a way that was ridiculous. And so eventually these people figured that out, these, these native New Yorkers, and they ran him out of town with the headless horseman, a ruse to trick the bumbling Yankee who had a horse named Gunpowder, which was old and broke back and uh, too short for his legs. His legs dangled on the ground. I mean, you just look at the imagery that Irving uses. And uh, this is why they ran him out of town. He's awful. They got rid of him. He went back to Connecticut. It'd be great if we could still do that today. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that move to the South who don't abandon where they're from. They think they're going to go to the South and it's going to magically transform their life. The things that they like, they start to vote against because these Southerners don't know anything. These Southerners are backwards. These Southerners have poor education. Southerners are stupid. Southerners are simple. So we're going to come down here, we're going to show these Southerners what it's like to be real Americans, to be enlightened. And when you look at what's happening in America, and you look at what's happening in the South, with certain elements of Southern society, whether it's the removal of Confederate statues, and of course you have Native Southerners that want these things torn down too, there's no doubt about it. You have people that think that they're awful in the South, that are from the South. But if you look at the states where this is most active, in particular, places like Virginia and North Carolina. What's going on in these two states? It doesn't mean that there aren't these movements in other states, because there are. But what does it mean for these two states? These two states are, are categorized now as purple, meaning that you have uh, 
well, a little more left-leaning South, right? And you look at what happened in Virginia in the last election cycle, and of course, I talked about it on this particular podcast. I wrote a piece about it right after it happened, that one of the things they were going to do is take down Confederate statues. I mean, this was, uh, you know, Governor Northam wanted to do it. And now that he had the legislature behind him by a razor-thin majority now, I mean, think about this. It's barely a majority. He's going to go after these things and not say that these statues have to come down, but do it in a way that says, well, local communities can take these down. If, if the local community doesn't want it there, they can take down the statue. And of course, this is in addition to the gun control legislation, all the other things going on in Virginia and the current political climate. A lot of that is fueled by the mass migration of Americans into the federal city. And they live in these northern Virginia counties. And these northern Virginia counties have become more Democrat than Republican. I mean, this is not to say that the Republicans are any good or the Democrats are bad or whatever the case may be. But uh, when you look at how this shook out in the, in the, in the election in, in uh, 2019 for the Democrats, uh, it's becoming apparent that this large number of transplants into the state, whether they're from somewhere in the United States or outside of the United States, has determined that they're going to try to tear down traditional Virginia society. And so as a result, there are people in Virginia who are saying enough. They want, they're talking about trying to get out of Virginia. Not just move, but they want their counties to secede from Virginia. So before I get into that, I want to talk about the piece on Friday, just briefly. Uh, in this particular piece, which is entitled Finding Dixie, it's a, from a new writer that we, we've never, um, never published any of her stuff, or Barbara Lauter. Um, she says something that's really interesting. Uh, she says this, quote, A few years ago, some members of my former roundtable in Brunswick County, North Carolina, were touring Fort Caswell, a decaying fort at the tip of the North Carolina coast that has guarded our shores from 1826 through World War II. It's now a relic, but still has a power that holds knowledge presently mysterious. We rambled amongst the combinations of rock and cement that remain. A member who recently moved to North Carolina from Michigan sat alone for a long time at the edge of a barrier, gazing at the ocean. Some members nearby were making good-natured Yankee rub jokes. There are some, yes. When she said in a dreamy voice, but once you're here, you're not so Yankee anymore. There are converts, she said. Possibly they can't define a change in their outlook, but becoming kinder, more neighborly, and receptive to the ideas about Southern nature as a start, and part of a big circle we hope will begin to swing right. Once you're here, you're not so Yankee anymore. Uh, that's a wonderful idea. And it would be great if that happened all the time. But it doesn't, unfortunately for most, because they can't seem to abandon where they come from. This has long been a process. I mean, look, there are people that move to the South all the time, even in the antebellum period, and as long as they... minded their own business, and understood Southern culture and tradition, they were left alone. Nobody bothered them. Southerners have long been this hospitality of minding their own business. I think in some ways factors into this 
problem we see now of people coming to the South and then seeking to change the South. And Southerners, as good-natured, hospitable people, just accept this change. Or, more importantly, accept these people in and don't really say much about it. And, of course, the end result of that is what we're seeing in states all across the South, but more importantly in places like North Carolina and Virginia. So Finding Dixie, I mean, you're finding it. This That's why this piece is entitled Finding Dixie, because of that little part of the piece. It's more observations on some things going on in the South and the idea that we have um, to tell the story, to tell the story of the South, to tell the story of what it is, to tell the story of what the Southern tradition means to the people that live it, the people that are part of it. But that's difficult to do at times, and so you have this group again from Virginia that's looking around at the current climate in Virginia and saying, enough, they want out. And John Devaney writes about this on Wednesday. He says, which brings us to the present day in the Old Dominion. The governor of West Virginia has invited this, the disaffected counties of Virginia to leave the Old Dominion to become a part of the mountain state. This makes some good sense, at least for the counties west of the Blue Ridge who share a common dominant culture of many of the citizens of West Virginia. No doubt there are rural counties in the Piedmont, Southside, and Tidewater who will be tempted to bid farewell to Old Virginia and seek sanctuary with West Virginia. Then if the court party in Richmond despises them and wishes them no good. Virginia, which is now a microcosm of the county's, I'm sorry, the country's culture wars, could lead a new secession movement that could go a long way to relieving the considerable pressures along the fault lines of conflict in America. Perhaps cities such as Charlotte and Atlanta might become independent city-states. Perhaps Fairfax County might unite with the District of Columbia and form the state of Progressiva. Aside from challenging the normalcy basis of politicians and public commentators, such moves will be resisted for the same reasons the American secession from Great Britain was resisted, and the Southern secession from the infant federal Leviathan was resisted, power and money. Which is true. Um, in my own podcast, I talked about this, maybe creating the state of Lee, and saying we're going to leave and we're going to call the state leave. That would melt snowflakes instantaneously. I mean, these people would melt down to a point where I don't know if they would recover if you had a state in the United States called Lee with, <laughs> with Robert E. Lee... Uh, as your founding inspiration. I mean, it would be absolutely hilarious. But this, again, is, is a nice example of what we see in America. This movement of people and thinking about decentralization. It's one of the key founding principles of the Abbeville Institute. Small is beautiful. Decentralization. Secession, nullification, the things that Southerners held on to longer in America than anyone else. Uh, the idea of self-determination. Can these counties or should these counties seek independence? Is it even legal? Well, of course it's legal. The Constitution allows it. We've seen it happen over and over again. We saw it with Vermont, New York in 1791. In fact, Vermont started forming their government, a de facto government, and to the people of Vermont, legitimate from New York even before 1791. And then New York finally let them out. Of course, this is during 
the process during the time of the Constitution. It wasn't before we had the Constitution. In 1791, the Constitution had been ratified into effect for two years. So New York let Vermont out because Vermont had its own government. It was already ignoring whatever New York did. Consent of the governed, legitimacy. So if these people in these counties just said, you know what, we're not going to follow Richmond law, we're not going to do what's said in Richmond, we're not going to do this at all, what would happen? Would Richmond send in the army? Probably not. This is the key, you see, to understanding what's... All this would get tied up in the courts. People would start using the courts, people would... But you're going to have to arrest somebody to make that court legitimate. Um, So this is where you get into situations of, well, what would people do? Um, It's a... Fascinating what's going on in America now in this thought of decentralization. This is the Kirkpatrick sale piece on Tuesday, Small is Beautiful. It's a book review of Small is Still Beautiful. Now, he didn't really care for this book too much. It's published by ISI, published in 2006. But Kirk Sale is a nice example of this northerner who finds Dixie. Kirk Sale lives in the South now. He's not from the South, but he loves the South and he he attends our conferences. He's uh, He is an old leftist, someone who, and I don't mean old like an age, but he's an old leftist, someone who believes in many of the ideas of the left. Um, you'd say he's generally Jeffersonian, but he's a firm believer in secession and self-determination. He's the head of the Middlebury Institute, which studies secession. Uh, He's heavily involved in the Second Vermont Republic. So Kirk Sale is a northerner who lives in the South and who has found Dixie. He's found what this means. He's found the Southern tradition. He loves the South. A man who, if you read his materials from the 1970s, I have one of his books uh, where he's uh, completely ripping the right. Um, And you... you, uh, you read what he wrote then, and you see where he lives now and the positions that he takes now. It's, it's really remarkable. He is as Southern as anybody else, because really what that is is Jeffersonian. And Southerners tolerate political differences quite well. Well, you don't agree with me there? Fine. Um, let's just all understand that we have a we have an obligation to a certain way of life in the South. This is something that uh, you know Southerners talked about in literature quite often. You could have the oddball in the South, and that was fine. The oddball was tolerated. As long as the oddball didn't try to agitate and make things worse for everybody else, the oddball was, to- was tolerated just fine. So, when you look at what this means, of course, small is beautiful. The idea is that the smaller, the smaller the society, the better it is. And so when you t- start taking this Virginia situation, is Virginia too large to govern from Richmond? Is any other southern state too large to govern from the centers? Is, should there be another Virginia? Should we start decentralizing these states even into smaller states? I know in my own state of Alabama, we have about 4 million people, which is the entire size of the United States in 1790. Is Alabama too big then to be governed properly from Montgomery? Or should you have smaller units within Alabama itself? It's an interesting question. 
Now, of course, states are the building blocks of both the municipalities, the cities and the counties, and the central authorities. So the states would have to have a final say in all this stuff, and that's the way the American political structure works. But should we, be, should we start talking about decentralization to a point that's beyond just the states leaving the center? It's a really interesting discussion to have. But again, getting back to this idea of small is beautiful and northerners figuring out what the South is, we have the piece by Clyde Wilson on Southern Film, his part nine of that. And when you look at this, it's about Westerns. Not about, at first glance, you would say, that's not about the South, it's about Westerns. It is about Westerns. But uh, understanding that Western really is Southern. And you look at all these actors, Northerners, foreigners who played individuals who are predominantly Southerners, and understanding that the South and the Southern tradition and the South being America and what it is, they understand that the South is real America. There's nothing fabricated about it. There's, there's something genuinely sincere about the South. And so in that way, we have this beautiful art articulation of Southern culture through film in these Westerns. Sometimes violent, sometimes romantic, but truly American. And he goes through a whole host of them, and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to read into them, but you can read the piece, A Southerner's Movie Guide Part 9. This has been a great series, by the way, to have this Southerner's Movie Guide, and a lot of people have commented that, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I have this in hand, because now when I'm looking for movies to watch, I'm looking for something to do, I can go and look at these movies and say, well, I'm going to watch that one or not that one. Um, it is a wonderful resource, and, and I we appreciate Dr. Wilson, for giving this to us, uh, he was going to publish it in a book and decided that, no, this is too important. It would take too much time to get this through. And people need to see this because we watch a lot of movies in America. So if we're going to do that, let's watch the right ones. And let's understand if you're going to watch some of the bad ones, where they, where they go off the rails. I mean, look, watching Spielberg's Lincoln, for example, which we already talked about, is, I mean, there's parts of the movie that are, it's good filmmaking, Bad history. <laughs> so uh, that's there's, there's parts of the movie that are interesting. So when we when we talk about um, this idea of Southern and Southern culture and Southern tradition and finding Dixie and finding the South and finding what we are, you have a, a really interesting. Uh, a really interesting topic. And then, of course, you have Phil Lee's piece on Monday, which is uh, the Washington Post publishes fake news. And again, this goes back to the whole situation with Virginia. Here we have the official mouthpiece, the official organ of the left in, in northern Virginia, criticizing Lee for speaking at a Civil War roundtable present, or I, I can't remember now. If we go back and look at it, um, speaking at a, at a, uh, I'm sorry, a, uh, Lee Jackson day event in Lexington, Virginia. And, um, Cortland Malloy was there. And of course he, uh, asked Lee for some information. Then he published this piece, which was a hit piece on Phil Lee. 
So Lee responds, and this is what you get. This is why you have some, I mean, this the Washington Post is indicative of the larger problem in Virginia. You have all these transplants or people that just don't like the South or the Southern tradition, even native Southerners in the area who don't like it, of course, who have an outlet. And they read the post and think it's gospel. So Lee responded with this piece, which was um, interesting. In fact, he tried to respond to it in print. The Washington Post refused to print it. They allowed a hit piece on the man, and he tries to respond, and they say no. So we published. His remarks here at the Abbeville Institute. We don't have the circulation of the Washington Post, but certainly uh, this particular piece and this particular response deserves to be read. What he gets into here is the idea that Southerners are fighting for slaves and fighting for slavery, I should say, fighting to keep their slaves. Uh, but more importantly, he gets into why the North decided to attack the South. He says even Eric Foner admits that most modern historians don't understand why the North chose to fight. In reality, these historians don't want to concede selfish motives among our northern ancestors because that would contradict the views of the, of the cultural elite. It would contradict the views of people in northern Virginia who are going to tear down statues. The low-hanging fruit. There is a piece out of New Jersey here recently where uh, the state of New Jersey has decided to take down a, statu a statue to a Union veteran because and replace it with a much more politically correct individual. Uh, I mean, you can't, of course it's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. So all this is part of this movement away from traditional America, away from Jeffersonian America, away from the Southern tradition. But people do come to the South and they do try to find it. They are looking for it. People come to the South because they know the South is unique. It's charming. They want to see that, and of course, you would just hope that when they get here, you don't feel so Yankee anymore, as that one woman from Michigan decided to remark as she was staring out off the coast of North Carolina. You don't feel so Yankee anymore. Maybe we can have these smaller communities. Maybe we can talk about decentralization. We can talk about Virginia and what these counties of Virginia do. There is a history there for Virginia, by the way. You know, back in the colonial period, the counties often resisted Richmond and they nullified everything Richmond did. They just had the courts not enforce any of it. The local sheriffs didn't enforce it either. So you essentially had nullification from the bottom up. So there is a tradition in Virginia of resistance to the center from the county. You don't have that as much in other states, but you certainly do in Virginia. Virginia always led the way in this in this idea of resistance to the center from the bottom up. That whole part of American history really comes out of the Old Dominion. Not Massachusetts, even though Massachusetts is often considered the patriot state. Right? I mean, it's not. It really was Virginia. If it wasn't for Virginia, the American War for Independence never really happens. I mean, Massachusetts would have had to go it on alone, and it would have lost. Um, Virginia provided the muscle and really the culture that made American independence po possible. And of course, the South is where the war is won in that particular period of time. So we have to remember this as we're finding this. First of all, the South is 400 years of history. I've, I've mentioned this before several times. Uh, as you're looking for these things, you're looking for these traditions and this culture, and you're looking for what makes the South the small, this beautiful idea 
what what makes it that it's this respect for traditions for ancestral customs for home place hearth i mean this is what people wanted this is why people come to such as about you know nice weather and good food and great music although that's all wonderful stuff too i mean people that love the south or hospitality people that love the south is what they like about it but there's something else something deeper to it and it's important for us to reinforce that, which is what we try to do here at the Abbey Institute through our podcast or our articles. Everything we do to try to ensure that uh, that Southern tradition is not lost to future generations. And of course, as I've said before, I mean, look, Virginia's only beginning. Uh, the, the attempt to sanitize history or to change it from the top down is going to be taking place, not just in Virginia, but it'll happen in other places too. It's just a matter of demographics, people moving into the South from either, again, from the North or from somewhere else in the world, and they want to change these things. Though, as I've remarked before, and I talked, told the story of the Chinese visitors in Texas back in the 80s, all they wanted to see was Robert E. Lee. That, to them, was the personification of America in the South. They, they, could, care, they could care less about the business district in Texas, and I think they were in Dallas. They could care. They really couldn't care about that. They, they, they didn't want to see that. What they wanted to see was the statue of Robert E. Lee, the great Yankee killer, right? The guy that was out there defending the South and really resisting the American Leviathan. And here's a group of people that had no contact with American history, much, much contact really whatsoever, and yet they recognized Robert E. Lee as one of the greatest of American heroes. So if we're going to have these counties look join West Virginia, just don't do it. Just make your own state, the state of Lee. And at that point, maybe we'll see, uh, again, a really funny meltdown from the people on the left who just really despise the South. All right, that's it for this Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Until next time, good day.